God in his Trinitarian perfection, eternally enjoying perfect community of the Godhead, needs for nothing. But he created us for our own benefit that we might enjoy and share in who he is. Hello, you're listening to the Greek to Me podcast, a daily discovery of the New Testament scriptures one word at a time. We hope today's podcast helps you better understand and appreciate God's word. Hello, it's February 10, and today's word is doxa. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul writes, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The word I want to pull out here is the word glory. Uh, doxa means glory. It actually literally means to evoke a good opinion of something in particular with inherent or intrinsic worth. It provokes worship, praise, honor, renown, even credit. The word glory can also refer to the manifestation of God, his splendor and brightness. Doxa corresponds with the Old Testament word kavod, meaning heavy. Both terms actually convey God's matchless substance and essence, his infinite and intrinsic worth. As we have seen, God's glory is one of the ways we understand what it means to fear God, namely that we consider his name heavy, and we typically aren't careless with weighty or heavy things. We are careful, even cautious, when we consider his holiness and the worship that he deserves. In Hebrews chapter 12, it actually warns us, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And in how much we approach God and worship him, we are thoughtful then to give God the glory he deserves. This verse, as we read, it comes on the heels of a really important comparison just previous to it that the writer of Hebrews is making in verses 18 through 24. He basically tells us that in Christ, we are able to approach God, that on Mount Sinai, as it were, he was unapproachable by way of his law. As he gave Moses the law, anyone who touched the mountain would immediately die. But, he writes, we now approach him by way of Mount Zion in the comparison, and we know that that's by way of Christ or faith in Christ according to the new covenant, where Christ fulfilled the law on our behalf and has made the necessary sacrifice to see our sin, all that would make us keep our distance from God, is forgiven. In this way, God has made himself approachable and knowable. Scripture is filled with God being attributed the glory that he alone deserves. But God's love for us once again, as seen in the gospel and elsewhere in his dealings with man, once again, his love for us compels him to go farther and to do more. As if it's not enough that we can know this glorious God, see his glory and approach him to give him praise and glory, he does two things that we could not have expected, and Paul writes about these two things in his second letter to the church at Corinth. The first thing God does that we would not have expected is he promises that we will see or enjoy his glory forever. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul writes, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What hope 
what perspective this gives us in this life. This is certainly one reason for our glorified resurrected bodies, and that is to endure the unveiled exposure to the glorious presence of God for eternity. And for this to be as exciting as it should be for us, and for us to long for this the way that we should, we must know that according to Psalm 1611, that in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. There is satisfaction, there is beauty beyond compare. Not when we simply hold or behold what God gives us, but when we behold and are with and in the presence of God himself his inherent worth, his goodness and holiness, in a word, his glory, will be so incredibly gratifying and pleasurable that the most severe and prolonged persecution the Christian could imagine will be simply forgotten. Enjoying this glory of our gods forever is our Father's most gracious reward. He does another thing with his glory that we would not have expected, and that is that he promises to share his glory with us, that we would share in it and even experience a measure, we would imagine, of his great glory. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, as we read in our first verse. This is the mystery of mysteries, but we know that we are becoming more and more like Christ as we grow in godliness and are sanctified. But it's more than that. If you can imagine, we we also know that whenever we see him, when Christ returns, that we will be, according to 1 John 3, 2, we will be made like him. We will have a glory of our own, as scandalous as that sounds. And I wonder if you wince at that a little bit, like I do as I say that out loud. And in eternity, there are the promises of ruling with Christ, judging with Christ, and as joint heirs, sitting on thrones and wearing royal crowns. And spoiler alert, it does appear that we will be compelled to forfeit those crowns or probably all trappings of eternal royalty as joint heirs and forfeit them by giving them to Jesus where they belong. Nonetheless, there is a sharing in the glory of God that we will one day experience. I don't know about you, but what I did not expect to discover when considering God's glory is how much God loves to share especially when we remember Isaiah 42, 8, when he says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. But we are no carved idols. We, we are not those trying to steal the worship he deserves. And so he graciously invites us to enjoy and even experience and share in his glory. But this shouldn't surprise us. Is God's desire to share himself not the very reason we exist and the reason for his redemptive and forgiving work in the first place? He does not need us. Let me repeat that. God, in his Trinitarian perfection, eternally enjoying perfect community of the Godhead, needs for nothing. But he created us for our own benefit that we might enjoy and share in who he is. But don't forget what it cost him. In Luke 24, 26, it says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? We remember then, in order to defeat the sin and the death that separated from him and all his glory, he gave Christ. And Christ suffered voluntarily many things and in many ways. And in Philippians 2, Paul actually says it this way, that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Christian, as we give God glory, 
And as we long to see his glory, think about this. If God in all his matchless glory can humble himself, then so can I. If God in Christ was willing to lay down what he did in fact deserve, then I can graciously resist the urge to demand what I think I deserve. May we glorify God by humbling ourselves before others in the way that God did for us that we might, mystery of mysteries, share in his glory.